Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. So what was the first toy ever advertised on TV? Now, I'll give you a hint. When it was first manufactured back in 1952, its parts arrived in cereal boxes. You give up? Mr. Potato Head. Mr. Potato Head, that, that's right, it was originally only parts, and you got the parts in your cereal box, and you, you popped them into your own spud at home, until parents began to complain that the toy chests of their children were beginning to smell like rotting potatoes. And so then they developed a plastic body for Mr. Potato Head. Now, over the Christmas vacation, I spent a lot of time with my youngest children and Mr. Potato Head. And I got to tell you, it's kind of exciting to change this dude. You know, you could change his bald head to a head of hair, his droopy eyes to sparkling eyes, uh, uh, no teeth at all to a big toothy smile, little appendages to uh, whirly twirly arms. In a matter of minutes, you can completely change Mr. Potato Head. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could do that to ourselves? Now, I'm not thinking so much in terms of physical appearance, although I would love to give myself a full head of hair. I'm thinking more in terms of character. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could pop off your fearfulness and give yourself courage? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could snap off anger and exchange it for kindness? Or give up impetuosity and gain wisdom? You know, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could change our character that easily? Well, today we're going to be talking about how to leave a mark on our character. This is the first week in a five-week series specially designed for launching the new year called That's Gonna Leave a Mark. And we're going to be talking in the course of the series about how to leave a mark on our character, our culture, our church, our family, even our eternity. So I want you to turn with me right now to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. It's a little e epistle in the New Testament toward the end of your Bible. And while you're looking for it, uh, let me say if this expression, that's going to leave a mark, if it sounds familiar, it's because it's been often used in movies. In fact, some dude spent seven months researching, I'm not making this up, seven months researching every time that that's going to leave a mark pops up in a movie or a TV show, came up with 105 examples examples of that and put them together in, in a 15-minute video you can get on YouTube. Okay, and most of them, most of the uses are sarcastic or silly. Uh, you get hit on the head or run over by a car or shot by a bullet or, you know, struck with a blunt instrument and somebody says, oh, that's going to leave a mark. Okay, but we're going to use it in its original sense in the course of this series. Leaving a mark has to do with having an influence in our world making a difference, leaving a legacy. So that's what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. Now, if you want to leave a mark on your world, okay, on your family, your friendships, your community, your workplace, it starts with who you are as a person. It begins with your character. See, before you can make a difference in somebody else's life, you've got to make a difference in your own life. And that's the focus of today's scripture text. Second Peter was written by a very good friend of Jesus, one of his original 12 disciples, a guy named Peter. Uh, Peter wrote this in AD 65. 
By this time, a generation after Jesus' earthly life and ministry, the church was on the move, the church was growing, but the church was also facing some opposition. And the opposition came in two forms. Uh, First of all, there was opposition from the outside, persecution. Uh, Peter himself, shortly after writing this epistle, would be put to death by Emperor Nero. And then there was opposition from within. False teachers had infiltrated the church and were beginning to lead people astray. So Peter writes this epistle to say, in order to be able to withstand the opposition we're going to face in this world, we got to be people of character. We got to be people of character. Now, how does that happen? How do we leave a mark on our character? I'm going to give you three insights today from the opening chapter of 2 Peter. And if you've not found your outline yet in your program, I encourage you to turn to that and fill it out as we go along. The first aspect of this character transformation has to do with the the powerful resources that God gives us to pull it off. Okay, the powerful resources. And if you've got a Bible with you, uh, open to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's begin at verse 3. His divine power... Okay, Jesus' divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Uh, Years ago, Sue and I lived in uh, Massachusetts on Cape Cod for a while. And one of the blessings of living on a peninsula that juts out into the ocean is the opportunity to go sailing. Uh, We had several friends who owned sailboats, and I loved to sail. Uh, Let me modify that by saying I loved to sail when it was breezy out. Okay, but when there's no wind, there is no fun sailing. You just sit there like a dead duck on the water, and you go nowhere And it doesn't matter how much effort you put into it, you can adjust the sails, you can move the rudder back and forth, but you're going nowhere. This is an analogy of what it's like to see character transformation in our lives. It's commendable if you want to see change. You know, if if you want to be more loving, more patient, more persevering, more faithful, more pure and holy, great desire, but how are you going to get there? Because you don't have the power to pull it off. New Year's resolutions won't get you there. Okay, there have been research, there's been research done on New Year's resolutions. They say that over 50% of American adults put together resolutions at the beginning of the year, but less than 10% of them are still keeping those resolutions a month or two later. So we need power to move us in the right direction. And that's what Peter says God offers us in the opening verses of 2 Peter chapter 1. Divine power for living a godly life. Now that's wonderful news, divine power, but it raises the question, how do we access that power? I mean, divine power won't do us any good unless we know how to tap into it. You ever had your cell phone go dead at a really important moment? You needed to make a call or you needed to retrieve some emails or some texts or you needed the GPS for your car and your phone battery goes dead. Now, you could be standing right next to a wall socket, so all of the power that ComEd puts at your disposal is right there. But the problem is you don't have a cord. 
You don't have a cord to connect your phone to the power outlet. And so the power is available, but it's not accessible. Jesus has all the power to grow your character, to produce a godly life. But how do you connect with that power? Peter suggests a couple of power-tapping resources in the opening verses. Let me give you two of them. First, an intimate relationship with Jesus. If you want to tap into the power, an intimate relationship with Jesus. Look again at the opening verse, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Now, don't miss this next line. Through our knowledge of him. Through our knowledge of him. Now, the word knowledge here, you know, it's not talking about the accumulation of information, data. You know, if I say I, I know my wife, I'm not talking about knowing details about her life, you know, uh, when she was born and where she grew up and what her major was in college and what number she is on the Enneagram. Now, I'm talking about a, a relationship. Knowledge is a relational word. I'm saying when I say I know my wife, I know Sue. I'm saying we've got a heart connect. There's an intimacy there between the two of us. So if we want to access Jesus' divine power in order to leave a mark on our character, we need to invest in an intimate relationship with Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus himself taught in John chapter 15, very familiar passage. Jesus uses a vineyard analogy, and he says, now listen, I'm the vine. Okay, you, my followers, you're the branches. So if you want to produce fruit, you got to stay connected to the vine. I produce fruit through you. So remain in me, remain in me, remain. Eleven times in John 15, Jesus uses the word remain. So what are you doing to cultivate an intimate relationship with Jesus? How do you stay connected to Jesus? How do you remain in Jesus throughout the course of your day? Because the deeper and more consistent your relationship grows with him, the more power you'll experience in character transformation. You get it? Good. The second way to access Jesus' power, the power is available, but is it accessible? Second way to access, access it is a familiarity with God's word. Okay, look again at verse 4. Peter tells us in the opening line that God has given us his very great and precious promises. Now, where do we go? This is not a trick question. Where do we go to find these great and precious promises? Yeah, the Bible, God's word. And keep reading in verse 4. It's through these great and precious promises through the Bible that we're enabled, Peter sa says, to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So familiarity with the Bible empowers a two-sided character transformation. The, the first side is that we begin to develop God-like characteristics. Peter says we participate in the divine nature. What does that mean? Well, what's God's nature like? You know, God is loving and patient and kind and morally wholesome and self-controlled and faithful. And when we saturate our lives with God's word, friends, these traits begin to pop up in our lives. They begin to shape us. And then the flip side of this character transformation, look again at the closing line of verse 4, is we escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The more time we spend in Scripture... The more God exposes and uproots and empowers us to resist the wrong kinds of character traits. 
You know, the more time we spend in God's word, the more we put to flight selfishness and greed and anger and lust and racism and laziness and on and on the list goes. I mean, we got to have God's power to overcome these evil desires and the, the power is accessed, how? By a growing familiarity with God's word, God's great and precious promises. This might be a good time to remind you of Christ Community Church's mega goal for this ministry season. Three-word goal. You remember what it is? It's Bible every day. Thank you for all three of you who said that. All right. It's Bible every day. You all know that, right? You know that we've put together a daily Bible reading schedule called the Bible Savvy Schedule, and you could get it on your electronic device, your phone or your pad, and follow along. Hundreds of people across our church are doing that. Some are doing it with their family every day. Talked to a dad of young children yesterday who said we follow the schedule every night at the dinner table. Some of you are doing it in your community groups. That's your curriculum for the year. Good for you familiarity with the Bible. Okay, this is where we get the power to live the Christian life. Got to have God's power. If you want to leave a mark on your character, the power comes from an intimate relationship with Jesus and familiarity with God's Word. Second point, let's talk about the important virtues that we want to see take shape in our character. A number of years ago, when my oldest daughter, Emily, when she was in college, we were taking a walk one day, and she turned to me and she said, you know, Dad, I think the guy I'm dating, Adam, she said, I, I think Adam's the one. And I said, well, honey, how do you know that he's Mr. Right? And she said, well, I never told you this, but several years ago, I put together a list of character traits I'm looking for in a life partner, and Adam fills a bill. And by God's grace, it turns out Adam has filled the bill really well as a husband to my daughter, Emily, with the exception that he whisked her off to the West Coast. But I'll forgive him for that. Did, did you know that the Bible contains a number of lists that spell out the character virtues that Jesus is looking for in his followers? I mean, Bible scholars e even have a name for these lists. They call them virtue lists. And uh, Peter gives us a virtue list in the the second set of verses in 2 Peter chapter 1, eight important virtues that Jesus is looking for in us and wants to produce in us. So let's begin to scroll through those virtues. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Now stop right there. What are the first two virtues? Virtue number one is what? Call it out. Faith. Good. Faith. Now, now uh, Bible scholars tell us that the virtues in this list are in no particular order of importance, with the exception of virtue number one, that you got to have virtue number one in place. It's foundational to the other virtues. Why? Because faith turns our focus away from ourselves and onto God. Faith is what causes us to realize, you know, I can't save myself. I can't mend my broken relationships. I can't heal my body when I'm sick. I can't fix my problems. I can't lift myself out of depression. I can't transform my character. But God can. God can. And so faith turns my heart to God again and again and again. That's virtue number one. Virtue number two, middle of verse two. Call it out if you see it. What's virtue number two? 
goodness. Add to your faith goodness, Peter says. Goodness means moral wholesomeness. If you're taking notes, just keep a list here and write next to goodness, moral wholesomeness. So if I say to you, I got a friend Jason and he's a good man. You know, what I'm saying is that Jason is a guy who keeps his word. He's dependable on the job. You know, he strives for sexual purity. He's not sleeping with his girlfriend. He's not watching porn on his phone. He's careful about what comes out of his mouth. You won't hear profanity coming out of Jason's mouth. He cares for people, especially marginalized people. He's a good guy. I don't mean good in a, in a Hallmark movie gag me sort of way. I mean, he's morally wholesome in a way that you'd want him as a best friend. Okay, so what comes after goodness? Faith, goodness, call out the next one. Knowledge. Knowledge here refers to discernment. Okay, what would God want me to do? And knowledge is having a sense of where God is, is leading. It's not about being smart. It's not about having a high IQ. It's discernment. Now, interestingly, this is the character trait that led me to surrender my life to Christ years ago. Uh, I was a college student at the time, and there were a couple of guys on campus. You, you've heard me tell the story before. Uh, Steve and Kenny, whom everybody went to whenever you had a problem. I mean, if you were struggling in your relationship with your girlfriend, or you were mad at your roommate, or you, know, you couldn't figure out what your major should be, you would go to Steve and Kenny, and they would have just the right word for you. They would have a word of counsel. You'd say, oh, yes. And I soon discovered that was because Steve and Kenny had a vibrant relationship with Jesus and they were saturating their lives with God's word. And I said, that's what I want for myself. That's knowledge. That's knowledge. What's the next virtue? Virtue number four, faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control. Self-control is the ability to say no to temptation. How strong is your no muscle? Can you say no to sexual temptation? Can you say no to overeating? Are you saying no to losing your temper? Are you saying no when you're tempted to gossip about your coworkers, about your boss? Do you say, no, I'm not going there. Can you say no to that? Okay, self-control. Virtue number five, perseverance. We're now in verse six. Uh, perseverance is the ability to remain steady in the face of adversity. This is the person, as the saying goes, who can take a licking and keep on ticking. Okay, they don't quit. They don't give in to self-pity. They don't uh, complain to others about how horrible life is, whether they're facing an illness or a friend has deserted them or they've just lost their job or they're struggling with the, the stress of caring for an aging parent or just living through the whole COVID deal. Whatever they face, they keep on keeping on and they do it with a good attitude. That's perseverance. Virtue number six. Last word in verse six, call it out. Godliness. Godliness describes a person who is daily uh, setting as their goal uh, to please God. That's their goal. That's their to-do list. What do I want to do today? I want to please God in everything I do. Okay, if I have, have decisions to make, I want to make a choice that pleases God. If I'm in conversation with someone, engaged with someone, I, I want to please God in that relationship, in that conversation. Now, some Bible teachers say, well, you know, it's not important that we please God because that would be a performance mentality, but we're living in grace. God sees us in Christ, so we're always pleasing to God, even when we fail. 
Now, there's some truth in that. If we have surrendered our lives to Christ, we are totally forgiven. Uh, We are absolutely and irrevocably loved by God. However, we can still live in a way that doesn't please God. How do I know that? Well, the Bible addresses it repeatedly in the New Testament. Ephesians 5 verse 10, find out what pleases the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, make it your goal to please the Lord. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, the Apostle Paul is praying for a group of Christ followers. And he says, my prayer for you is that you would please God in every way. So this is an important character virtue to be developed. Pleasing God. It's called godliness. Virtue number seven. Middle of verse 7, mutual affection. And you actually know the Greek word behind this expression. You didn't know that that you know it, but the word is Philadelphia. Ever heard of that? So Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. That's what mutual affection here means. It means loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. When you surrender to Jesus, he puts you in a family. And then he expects you to love that family, to grow in your love for fellow believers, to be willing to give up financial resources in your weekly offering to support ministry to them, to roll up your sleeves and get involved in kids' world or some other aspect of the church because you love your brothers and sisters, to gather with a handful of brothers or sisters in a group to study the Bible, a community group. To support them emotionally and direct them to care night if they're struggling with issues in in their lives. Mutual affection. Virtue number eight. This is the final one. It is the last word in verse eight. Love. Love is not a feeling word in in the Bible. It's an action word. It means to sacrificially meet the needs of others. And when the Bible uses the verb love, it's speaking of loving neighbors, it speaks of loving the poor, loving those we work alongside of, loving immigrants, loving even our enemies. And if you've been following Christ Community Church's Bible Savvy reading schedule, we just finished the epistle of 1 John, and John has a ton to say about love. In fact, he says it's one of the tests of whether or not you're a genuine Christ follower. For for example, 1 John 3, verse 17, John says, if you've got resources and you see people in need and you do nothing to alleviate the need, how can the love of God be in you? How can you say I'm a follower of Jesus? In chapter 4, verse 20, John says, how can you love God whom you can't see if you can't love people who who, who you can't see? So there are people in your life you, 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 you can't love and You see them every day, and yet you think you can love an invisible God? John says, no. No. So love, that's the last virtue. Now, this is quite a list of character virtues, isn't it? Now you know why Peter says we need divine power to work these into our character. Peter sets the bar pretty high. I mean, higher than we could ever reach without God's help. And so Peter suspects that some Christ followers will look at this list of character traits and they will conclude, no, not me, close their Bibles and say, well, I'm just glad God loves me the way I am. 
And Peter says, no, no, I'm not going to let you get away with that. These character traits, this character transformation is too important to blow off. Look at the next verse, verse 8. He says in verse 8, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, if you're growing in these qualities, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop there. You know, what happens if you don't pursue character growth in these particular areas? Peter says, simple, your Christian life, if you're truly a Christian, will be ineffective and unproductive. You either leave a mark on your own character or you leave a mark on nobody else. You either make a difference in your own character or you don't make a difference in your family or in your neighborhood or in your community. And and then he goes on in in verse 9. He says, but whoever does not have them, these important character traits, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Let me paraphrase what Peter is saying in in verse 9. He's saying, if you're not moving forward when it comes to the development of these character virtues, then you're moving in reverse. You're sliding into past sins. You know, there is no neutral, Peter says. You you make up your mind to grow. I'm going to grow in the areas of faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Or you'll be constantly sliding back into old, familiar, sinful patterns that Jesus saved you from. Peter says, remember when you surrendered your life to Christ and because of what he did on the cross for you, he cleansed you of sin? You don't want to go back there. You want to move forward. Wouldn't this be, this list of important character virtues, wouldn't it be wonderful to jot it down on a three-by-five card before the day's out and post it somewhere where you'll see it every day of 2021? You know, or better yet, memorize it. Memorize these eight character traits, and when you get up in the morning and you look in your bathroom mirror, say, Jesus, would you make me more like this? The important virtues. Number three, the necessary effort. The necessary effort. Now, Peter corrects in today's text a very very popular mistaken notion about the Christian life. This notion is often expressed with the words, let go and let God. You ever heard that? Let go and let God. In other words, since character transformation requires God's power, and that's true, Just sit back and let God do what needs to be done. I mean, push the autopilot button and then sit back and enjoy the ride. There's nothing for you to do. Let let me illustrate this erroneous notion with an old joke. You've heard me tell this many times before. Three guys are talking about their desire to become more generous people. Now, that's a great character virtue, generosity. And so the first guy says, here's what I'm going to do in the new year. Uh, Every time I get a paycheck, I'm going to convert it into cash. I'm going to draw a big circle on the ground. I'm going to throw my money up into the air. And whatever God causes to land in the circle, I'll give to God. And anything outside the circle, I'll keep. And the second guy says, well, that's kind of a cool idea. I think I'll do something similar. I'll throw my money up in the air. I'll draw the big circle. But, but here's what I'm going to do. Whatever God causes to land outside the circle, I'll give to the Lord's work. Whatever lands inside, I'll keep. The third guy's thinking about this, and he says, you know, I, I got a better idea. I'm not going to draw a circle. 
I'm going to throw my cash into the air, and I figure whatever God wants to keep, he'll hang on to. Whatever comes down is for me. <laughs> is that how we develop the character virtue of generosity? Just throw our money in the air, and God's going to do what God's going to do. No. If we want to grow in generosity or in any other character virtue, it's going to take some effort on our part. Yes, God will supply the power, but it's up to us to put that power to work. I mean, look again at the opening line of verse 5. There's a phrase here I want you to note. If you brought your own Bible, and this is why you bring your own Bible, so you could mark it up, okay? I want you to underline this. When Peter begins his list of important character virtues, he says, for this very reason, now say the next three words with me out loud. Here we go. Make every effort. That was kind of weak. Let's do it again. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and so on and, and so forth. Drop down to verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, say the next three words with me, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. In other words, make every effort to prove that you're, you're really a Christ follower. For if you do these things, these character virtues, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if we want to make progress in the Christian life, especially when it comes to character transformation, it's going to take some effort on our part. Make every effort. By the way, in the rest of the epistle, short epistle, Peter uses this expression another couple of times. It's not just a matter of let go and let God. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in his New Testament letters. He says, the Christian life, let me tell you what it's like. It's like a marathon runner training to run the race. It's like a soldier battling in the middle of a war. It's like a tireless farmer working his field. Paul says, you want to make changes in your character? Ephesians chapter 4, it's like taking off dirty clothes, old behaviors and attitudes, the smelly stuff, and exchanging them for new, fresh clothes, character virtues. In Romans 6, he says it almost violently. He says, here's what you got to do with the old stuff, the old you, the old attitudes and behaviors. You got to kill them, put them to death. Make every effort. Character transformation doesn't just happen. It requires effort on our part. Uh, one of my favorite Christian authors is a dude named Dallas Willard. And Dallas addresses this topic we've been talking about, effort, to see transformation in our lives in many of his books. Uh, in one of his books, he refers to those bracelets that were popular for Christians to wear years ago, uh, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do?, and we wore those bracelets and uh, so, sort of surmised that if we find ourselves in a tight spot, we just look down at the bracelets, oh, what would Jesus do? And once we bring it to mind, we just do it. It's that simple. <laughs> Dallas Willard said, no. See, in order to be able to do what Jesus did on the spot, you've got to be willing to do what Jesus did when he wasn't on the spot. What's he talking about? Well, what did Jesus do when he wasn't on the spot? What did Jesus do as part of his everyday life? Well, he constantly slipped away to spend time in prayer with the Father. 
He memorized large chunks of scripture. We know that because he was always quoting it, even against Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness, quoted Bible verses at it. He would stop his entourage when they were passing through a village. If he saw any person who had a need, he would stop and meet that need. He was constantly conscious of saying only the things that the Father had given him to say. He said, my words are not my own. I say what the Father wants me to say. Wow. How do you do what Jesus did when on the spot? You start doing what Jesus did when he wasn't on the spot consistently, daily, in small things as well as big things. In fact, my favorite story about Dallas Willard, I just finished a biography about Dallas Willard, an amazing man, Christian leader, a philosophy professor at USC, a best-selling author. My favorite story is about a very insignificant event in his life, but it proves this point that it's, it's what you do when you're not on the spot that builds your character. He was at a dinner for the American Philosophical Association, and he was sitting next to a bigwig, a guy who's well-known in philosophy circles, very popular, very famous. And Dallas orders dinner. The waiter comes around, and Dallas says, I'll take the veal. And the guy next to him looks at him and says, if you're going to order veal, I'm not even going to sit here. And he begins to get up and leave. Now, what would you have done if you were in Dallas's shoes? Would you have been defensive? Wait a second here. Would you have been sarcastic? Yeah, have a good time at your next table. <laughs> Would you have been resentful? You know what Dallas did? He said, I wouldn't want to offend your moral sensibilities. And he called the waiter back and he ordered something else. It's what we do in the small, insignificant decisions of life. It's the habits we form, friends. It's the disciplines we practice. It's the effort we put into it that shapes our character over the long haul. You get it? Good. So let me ask you an application question as we close today. Where does your character need some work? If you don't know, you might want to turn to the person next to you who you came with, and they'll, they'll have an answer for you. What effort could you exert beginning this week to make some progress, to leave a mark? Maybe it's time you finally picked up a Bible-savvy reading schedule and start tapping into divine power. Maybe it's time you set up an appointment with a Christian counselor to get behind your angry disposition. Maybe it's time to put a filter on your phone and your PC to keep the garbage out. Maybe it's time for you to join, finally, a community group so you can learn how to tangibly love brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe it's time you call someone you've had a conflict with and say, hey, can we talk? Can we talk? Maybe it's time to go to Christ Community Church, Church's website to become an online giver and move in the direction of generosity. Maybe it's time to read a good book that will help you understand people of another race. We're living in the midst of racial unrest and it's made you uneasy and angry and frustrated. And maybe you need, to, you need to learn about what it's like to live as a minority in our culture. See, the necessary effort. Isn't it wonderful to know that we've got a Savior, Jesus Christ, who though God became one of us and knows what it's like to exert effort in living a life of character. Let's pray. 
Lord God, we just want to thank you as always for the practicality of your word. But as we said at the outset, we're going nowhere. This sailboat is not going to move unless the wind of your spirit stirs us. So give us the power, give us the inclination to take what we learned today and put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen.